Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, senior editor at Billboard and musical theater fan here. So if you're a regular listener of this podcast, and if you aren't, well, please get on that because the year is almost over and the time has come. Uh, You know that even though it's called Billboard on Broadway, my guests aren't always purely from Broadway shows. Really, what I want to do is to shine a light on musical theater wherever it is that's really pushing the art form forward and also hopefully illuminating how much pop and musicals have in common these days. And there's a show playing off-Broadway in New York right now through the end of the year that really perfectly fits my little podcast mission. It's called 100 Days, and it's playing at New York Theater Workshop, which is this major off-Broadway theater that I would say is really at the forefront of giving a stage to creators who bridge the pop and theater realms. 100 Days was written by and is performed by a team known as the Bengtsons, Abigail and Sean Bengtson, who also happen to be married. At first glance, the show looks more like a concert than a theater piece. You will see a fairly spare stage setup with Abigail and Sean fronting a kind of band of their collaborators, uh, this tight little group of performers who all have backgrounds in theater, but also in playing with diverse artists in the pop realm, including Tunyard, Sarah Bareilles, Childish Gambino, Rilo Kiley, and many others. But the show is definitely a musical of sorts, and it's one much better explained by Abigail and Sean than by me. When they came by the podcast recently, we had a great chat about how they put such a personal show together, why it made sense as something more than just a concert, and why not all musicals are meant for Broadway, and why that actually is a great thing. I'm thrilled to meet both of you. And as I was just saying, like, you're such a perfect fit for this podcast, which is all about the overlap between pop and musical theater. And it's like you're tailor made for us. Oh, (laughs) how did you know? That's awesome. So for people who haven't seen the show or aren't maybe aren't able to get to New York to see it, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit what it's about and like what people in the theater see on stage when they come? Great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, so we, uh, right, it's called 100 Days, and we call it a, a, like a theatrical concert, where it's, uh, it is basically like it's a concert that we tell a story through, and it's sort of, there are like theatrical moments that bloom throughout it, but it's like, it's really rooted in a concert. Um, and it's uh, it is the uh, the story of how we got married. We uh, we fell in love and we got married three weeks later, and it was uh, uh, crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, uh, it was a pretty incredible but like tumultuous few weeks, uh, full of of uh, sort of struggles with our own mortality, <laughs> and uh, um, and so it sort of it goes through that little chunk of our lives, which was now. 10 years ago, which is crazy to think about. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. It has been a while. <laughs> well, I would think that when you take a story that's so personal and involves working one-on-one with your spouse, there are a lot of questions that you have to answer as you're conceiving it. Did you always see it as a theatrical concert or something beyond being an album or a set of songs? And was there a reason that you thought that it needed the kind of theatrical setting in the first place? 
Yeah, I mean, we we started as you know composing together and songwriting together for sure, and and um, the original sort of creative impulse was all around songwriting, and but we always felt like we had a larger story that we were trying to tell, and then we sort of um, gathered this a really beautiful group of collaborators over the years who. Um, helped us create it and but the first version of it was really a musical like we really kind of it was a two-act big thing and there were big moving set pieces and a really big cast and um, you know I I love what we made but it, it felt like it had put we had built a lot of structures to distance us from the sort of more painful <laughs> truth of what the songs were about. Mm -hmm. um, and so then the process between then and now has been really stripping away and um, becoming more and more honest and more and more willing to tell the truth of our own personal experiences, which is, you know, scary on a number of levels. <laughs> but, humiliating. And humiliating, for sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, valuable, working, too. Yeah, we've been working on this, really. Like, we started working on it almost at the exact same moment that we got married you know so it's been this sort of very long circuitous uh, yeah. uh, path to getting to this point and it started out as what we thought was fully fictional and sort of everyone else around us realized way before we did that it was just our own story and like any sort of fiction we put on it just felt like walls to people mm -hmm. you know and so it has been this is the uh, uh, it premiered uh, four years ago um, in San Francisco at Z Space and that was the sort of more uh, musically version and then like three years ago we did it in Cincinnati um, at this theater called No Theater which we love a lot and then last year we were in the public theaters under the radar festival um, and now at New York Theater Workshop and each version has sort of been uh, like pulling layers away of the fiction and getting closer and closer to the you know the actual story of that time um, and yeah, so now where we've ended is it's still like, uh, you know, it's not a documentary. It's like we've <laughs> definitely like fictionalized it, but all of the fictionalizing is in an attempt to better convey like what it felt like at that moment and how and to try to be able to do that in 90 minutes, you know, condense all of those sort of uh, uh, bonkers feelings into uh, this this like one thing that you can sit down and witness. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned your collaborators, and yeah. which include the amazing Joe Lampert from yes. Yards, who we love. Um, and I feel like with a with a piece this personal, there's always a danger of it being too inward looking, and the sort of challenge is figuring out how to make it say something larger that you know connects with an audience, yeah. especially when you are on such a yeah. spare stage as you are, and it's really yes. just like looking and listening to you. I I would love to hear a little more about how you find the people who worked on this, and if that's a way of kind of guaranteeing that it's not just you and has sort of a larger outward view in the end. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, Joe Lampert's a great example. We, you know, we met doing a concert together and then she came on board to do the Zoo Space show and then we toured with Toon Yards together straight after the Z Space run and really kind of got to know each other um, really deeply and I think what that does sort of really living with your collaborators and and um, learning them over years is you sort of start to recognize what 
what specifics in your own life are universal. You know, what what um, what sort of personal stories and details um, are are your own journal entries, and yeah. what <laughs> and what are ones that yeah. resonate with others, and and um, that I think happens through communication. It's also um, through listening to others and sort of noticing what rings bells for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, I do find, like, it is, like, uh, a tricky line to walk, uh, but I do think my own trap has been I can tend to think that, yeah. like, the broader I am with something, like, the more people, like, the more universal will become. And, and in fact, I, I tend to find that, like, the more specific you are about your own experience, like, the more then people can relate to it yeah. you know but I feel uh, like that's a recurring theme on this podcast yeah. <laughs> specificity actually breeds universality yes. in the yeah. way yes it's so we've <laughs> we've got this wonderful team that we're working with we have uh, Annie Kaufman as our director who's been with us since San Francisco um, and uh, she's really really brilliant and super smart and like very unsentimental too which is really important mm -hmm. like when talking yeah. about like themes like this you know what i mean it would be easy for it to tip into uh gooey tweeness you know what i mean it's not mine but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, like annie is just like so smart and so like uh uh rigorous about about uh keeping it um you know yeah. away from that yeah. and just uh, uh and so she's really been the guiding light through this this process and uh the thing uh and then we've brought on um our neighbor and best friend sarah gancher who is uh this really wonderful playwright and musician has made uh made the public theater version and this version with us um and it's been uh, this she's done this sort of like deep dive into our lives and like and done a lot of interviews with us and things and, and like that is what we then crafted into this piece but it was so like i uh it was very very essential to have those outside eyes to be able to you know because i'm like you know I'm, I'm two inches away from it you mm -hmm. know and it's really hard for me to know like what are the actual relevant important details for people to know when they're coming in um, and it's and the thing that's uh, a joy about theater too, like versus like doing concerts, is just the amount of time you have to uh, invest in developing the performance. You know, so it's been so great. We've uh, uh, our dear dear friend and and uh, collaborator Sonia Taya, the uh, choreographer, um, got to uh, work with us on this and developing all these like very sort of subtle, uh, kind of weird like uh, moments of dance and movement in this mm -hmm. piece. Uh, which is great, and uh, and we've got our our band with us who we love. Uh, Danny Markham, who's playing drums, was also in Tune Yards, um, and uh, we've got Reggie uh, Reggie White, who's an incredible musician and singer who's been with us in San Francisco, um, and Colette Alexander, our cellist, is also uh, toured with everybody, and is just a crazy genius, um, <laughs> and has been true. with us for like six years or so. So it's uh, I don't know. It's, it's a family, for it sure. It is family. It is family. Well, I was especially curious to hear about working with Annie and Sonia because yeah. I feel like while plenty of pop and rock singers are very at home on stage and even have a sense of theatricality that's sort of innate mm -hmm. to them, I don't think it's necessarily an easy thing to do. And 
I wondered how they both helped you maybe feel more comfortable on stage and, and sort of elevating this from being merely a concert to having a theatrical element. And I love the idea of the movement direction that's not yes. really outright choreography yeah. but does sort of tie things together in a subtle way. Yes. Yeah. They both, they, they are so smart about that. I also, I think maybe all of us, but I maybe in particular, like <laughs> am pretty like um, awkward and shy about dance you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and I move a lot when I sing for sure but then um being asked to repeat something I did once I get self-conscious and so Sonia has been and Annie have been incredibly I mean that's the gig like the, the massive part of the gig of theater is is recreation and um the and one of the beautiful things about concerts is that you're really trying to make something new every time and I think actually um, there's immense crossover between those um, pursuits but um, it takes it takes um, a particular kind of guidance to um, uh, you have to really trust the people guiding you that when you stomped your foot that one time it changed the show in such a way that it's worth making sure you do it every single time, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, Sonia works really hard to make sure that all the movement feels organic and like it's sort of bursting out of our natural movement. And I think Annie does the same thing with us as as sort of um, actors and actors in training, you know? <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of, definitely a skill set that sort of, particularly like storytelling, like folk musicians, have of how to set up a song, you know, how to um, how to frame music in a way that makes it more available to everybody. And I think that's a big part of the task of, of concert speak. Um, and I think she, Annie's really in, interested in that and then interested in how to um, transform that slowly over the course of the night into something that is more like a play. And I feel like that's been really exciting to me to watch her sort of transform genre over the course of the night. Um, that's one of the most exciting things yeah. about the show to me. It is to me too. And I, I think it's been something that has been like exciting, but also sometimes confusing for people in the <laughs> audience too. <laughs> you know, because like it is like walking this line between concert and musical and it sort of tips back and forth over the night and I and I in a way that I find exciting but like makes it like a little difficult more difficult to easily categorize it yeah you I know agree. which I hope works to our advantage but I, I think is uh, gone both ways for folks yeah, I agree. <laughs> well it's, I'm I'm just thinking now listening to you that it's like your challenge is almost the opposite of what so much theater has to do that like so much musical theater starts out being so explicitly artificial yeah. and striving to have yeah. a very a more natural <laughs> genuine feel whereas you have something that like by nature if you're just singing songs it's yeah. very natural you're just kind of yes. laying you yeah. know the music out there and you almost need a slight layer of artificiality to make it clear that it's theater and you're not just at a concert that is that so is interesting really and I, <laughs> I feel so smart right now you are so smart, very smart. <laughs> <laughs> yummy is looking at us 
like, not that smart. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I just want to take a moment to say that Yemi, who's recording this, is holding the cords of the microphone <laughs> so they don't slowly droop over the cords. So she's the real hero of this podcast. It's never, it's never a dull moment taping that's this right. podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think it's actually been taking some like sort of something very very raw and earnest yeah and um <laughs> and a little gooey as and yep, that's right. gooey or, you know deeply emotional yeah and sort of um working to actually provide shape and distance mm-hmm. enough that it can be experienced yeah. and that's like yeah that's do, totally yeah. what Annie Kaufman's been trying to it's do. It's true. <laughs> and like and I think like both her and Sonia are trying to find this line too where it's almost like you realize in retrospect that those were choices. Do you know what I mean that everything sort of feels off the cuff and then there are just these moments where we all do an off the cuff thing at the exact same moment mm-hmm. such that it sort of like recontextualizes the things that you yeah. saw before. Mm-hmm. Um and it, yeah, and it's interesting too for the both of them like they're having like you know, like they uh, they have to. Everyone on stage is also playing instruments. You know, and so they have to do what they're doing, like with that constraint. You know, like like Joe is uh, playing accordion most of the show, so like Sonia has access to Joe's two feet and one hand. You know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, so, um, and so it's really amazing to see what they do with those uh, pretty intense constraints how to dance with accordion yeah joe does it it's pretty <laughs> impressive <laughs> well i wanted to talk about your style a little bit um because i feel like there are so many different influences at play and i i wrote this down so i wouldn't miss pr- say it but nice. like you talk about how um th- where you met was a quote massive anti-folk folk punk old-timey neo-soul <laughs> band rehearsal which is a lot of hyphenated genres at once um first of all i want to know about that story and i like folk punk is the way that i immediately myself sort of categorized how you sound That's so i was awesome. curious to hear like a little that. about how yes. you think of yourselves what you listen to these days and sort of yeah. where you contextualize yourselves as a group yeah well, we uh, we met in this uh, uh, this big band that uh, you know I really loved a lot, led by uh, musician Ben Folstein. It was called Level Two, um, and it was like eight or nine people, right? It was a big. Why old not Level band. One? Yeah. <laughs> What's what, level a, two? what a great question! I believe that Level Two was like the spiciest kind of chili you could get yeah. <laughs> at some restaurant yeah. you love but he was sort of a, he's sort of a mad scientist of a musician and he would bring together all kinds of sort of orphaned musicians and we'd all play and sing it was a big messy band and um i thought sean was um pretty special <laughs> when i heard him play and um and yeah, I got him alone as soon as I could. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I, uh, was, was she predatory? <laughs> I was predatory with consent. <laughs> That's how I defined uh, myself uh, at that time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I was finally uh, ready to start my own band, and I asked her to be a part of it. And uh, we had the first band rehearsal, and the rest of the band went home. And then three weeks later, we were married. <laughs> And that's and, uh, how a baby. And that's is made. how a baby is made. <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> um, uh, and folk yeah, punk, so like, like folk punk. I love. I appreciate the description of folk punk because it's two of my favorite genres, and I feel like 
folk, what I love about folk music, there's so much, but is is this sort of deep sense of tradition and and lyrical precision, um, storytelling songs and sort of emotional availability mm. in music. And yeah. the legacy of folk music is so deep. And then I feel like punk music, what um, just the fucking um, not giving a shit, raw, youthful, um, energy of punk music is so inspiring and I don't think we could ever have the nerve to call ourselves punk musicians yeah. but um, <laughs> but I am I'm always in awe yeah. of, of real punk artists and, yeah. and really inspired by their form for sure mm -hmm. yeah there's something like there's something in both like folk and in punk music that's like I feel like the best folk and punk musicians are sort of striving for this like real like sense of like authenticity. Yes. You know what I mean? And like and trying to not have like a lot of like artifice between you and like the audience. That's um right. and so yeah, it's just like a lot of my favorite bands are walking you know, that line. Yeah. And uh um uh we both grew up listening to like lots of music from all over the place and uh uh a lot of sort of traditional music from around the world. Um, in addition to like you know like the classic like sixties like folk you know legends and all them and uh um uh and it's been this sort of like it's been a really fun process of uh of uh of you know pulling together these these tunes for the show like some of them like the one of the songs in there is the first song we ever wrote together um and so there's some music in there that's you know like ten years old and there's some that we wrote you know a few weeks ago. Um, so it is like it does sort of it like one of the things that's been wild about doing this show over such a long period of time is like striving to continue to have it feel relevant to us and also like musically relevant. Sure. You know, like I uh, I'm a better musician than I was 10 years ago <laughs> and like uh, and I could do more things now than I could do before. And uh, and I would like to think that I have like my taste is getting a little uh, more refined <laughs> um, and so it's been this process too of like of like a kind of a recreation you know and like trying to see like what is the kernel from these songs that still feels relevant to us now yeah. and how do we sort of shake it down to you know so I can still feel good singing it you know mm -hmm. this many years later and folk and punk seem particularly well suited to theater like one being so story based and the other being so much about visceral emotion yes, which is yes, really what right. you know musical theater is yeah. <laughs> trying right. to do just like smearing emotion all over you at all yeah. times <laughs> <laughs> just pouring um, it on so yes. it all comes together yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know I think that New York Theater Workshop is uh, for people listening who haven't been there, it's like a very intimate space. And I feel mm -hmm. like over the past few years, especially, but there's such a legacy there of presenting inventive and revolutionary musical theater. It's where Rent started. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a really special space. And I feel like after you see a show there, you kind of, you want more people to see it, but you also almost don't want it to be in a bigger space <laughs> because it feels so special where it is. And I was curious whether you think this show is particularly suited to a space like that whether you would want it in a Broadway theater and um, I'm curious also about like the larger question of like is Broadway the end all be all for all musical theater or Girl. is it really not the right place so, for yes. everything and that doesn't demean the work yeah. yes I yeah. mean when I that's like such a huge important question I feel like in our field right now is how to break the Broadway model and reinvent it so that 
different people and different voices and different art have a chance to survive and be seen by more people, I I think the the answer is no. That it's certainly Broadway can't be the be all and end all because there's just too much great stuff going on that can't bring in five thousand. Yeah. tourists or right. you know what I mean yeah. a day like it's so expensive to run on Broadway like, like I can't really... afford a ticket you know no. and, and that's real that's yeah. real and I feel like um, you know thinking about like old billboard stuff you know <laughs> thinking about like going back to this mm-hmm. idea that you could go and pay a yeah. nickel and see three Broadway shows <laughs> I might be making it up I might be exaggerating oh, that. Like maybe one for a nickel <laughs> maybe one for, but uh, like Abigail's but accessibility and availability uh, yeah. of mom art mom grew up outside of New York and she remembers like she would see all the shows on Broadway and you'd come in and pay like five bucks and see yeah. you know Hello or Dolly see it, or whatever see Hello it was, Dolly 12 you know? times you know right. and with your babysitting money and like that's so beautiful to me. Yeah. The idea that um, to create a model in which audiences of all kinds could come. And I think if there was more of a diversity of audience that could come see these shows, mm-hmm. there'd be more of a diversity of art, you know, yeah. being Completely. seen and being made. And and I, I hope that we can be a part of that somehow. Yeah. And I don't know how yet because our show, this show, you know, it's intimate, it's small, I think it's deep, but it's um, it's not flashy in the way that a lot of Broadway shows need to be. Um, to and like I, warrant that, like to warrant the two, Yeah, if I pay $250, <laughs> there better be something that You need like a few more in. light bulbs yeah. or something. <laughs> yes, That's I'm gonna right. need like a really big light bulb. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? And, and I get that, and especially when you can pay $15 and see anything in the world at the movies yeah. you know <laughs> so like to yeah. compete with that um i think i think the answer is to not compete with that you know and to make more spaces where um people's voices can be heard because mm. that's what that's what theater can do that nothing else can do is create a moment that will never happen again between human beings yeah no, I was curious whether, I mean, to that point, whether this is, like, the kind of show that you see yourself doing more of, like, structurally, or if this was, like, very specific to this story, and with your next project, you're going yeah. in a totally a, different direction. We actually have, like, as soon as the show closes on the 31st, we go into, like, rehearsals almost immediately for our next show called The Lucky Ones, which is actually, like, they're... Uh, it's extending the story, actually. It's going back, like the other part of 100 Days is uh, part of Abigail's difficulty in these three weeks was from her own experience with trauma, uh, from uh, her family falling apart um, in like a pretty spectacular fashion. Um, And so the next show that we go into like goes back and talks, it's all fictionalized, but it's uh, telling, like it's exploring the sort of the themes from that time in her life. Uh, and talking about like sort of the characters of of Sean and Abigail as as children, and then um, in us present day trying to decide about whether we will have a baby, which we then did. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> and he's fifteen months now, but like that was also a pretty big, uh, intense decision. And uh, um, and this next piece, like it's interesting. It does sort of feel like the kind of next kind of 
evolution of this model where it's still built around at its core is us singing songs and telling a story but it's like a, on a much larger scale it's like a cast to like 20 and like Sonia this time it's all the same exact same creative team of Sarah Gancher, Annie Kaufman, Sonia Taya um, and uh, Sonia has six of her beautiful dancers and uh, uh um, and so I'm really, really live dancing this time. Yeah, that's right. Real live <laughs> dancing. That's right. Dance. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so it's like I feel like it. I'm I'm really curious to see how Annie's going to put it on stage because I I genuinely have no idea like what it will look like, you know. But it's a piece that I'm really really proud of, and it's going to be uh, Ars Nova is producing it, and it'll be uh, at the Connolly. Awesome. It opens in March. Yeah. Ars Nova is another theater like New York Theater Workshop that I feel like is really totally yeah. working to bring in new voices and yes. actively trying to break this mm-hmm. musical theater mold yeah. open. And like they de- they developed Great Comet with Dave Malloy, yes. which I think is another like really beautiful. An underground railroad show and just right. like the, like a game, sorry, and just a lot of artists that we really really admire are moving through those yeah. places. So we're really very yeah. honored and proud to even yeah. have our so we'll but name we'll see like what you know, and I do think like yeah, come see the shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let us and know if it works. <laughs> if it works, <laughs> we'll see. And we are like wondering then moving forward too. Like I am like. Uh, there's sort of, there's a third piece uh, in this like the, it's sort of a trilogy that we're imagining with it's sort of like Russian nesting dolls with like hundred days in the center and then there's lucky ones and then there's this third piece that we're just starting to put together and we're really actively trying to think like now that we've gotten to develop you know hundred days which is very much a concert and lucky ones which is sort of more uh, more exploded and more theatrical and more musical like what do we want this third piece to look like and it's a really active question for us right now because it's also like it's just like it's it takes so long to make these things you Mm -hmm. know like we've been working like four years on the lucky ones and it's like so like when we're embarking on something it's like what do i want to spend the next half decade like (laughs) working on yeah. Well, maybe by the third one, you'll have like a full-fledged tap dancing number. <laughs> you will have moved from like one gesture to like 40 seconds freestyle That's right. situation. Wow. I'm going to call. So- I'm texting Sonia right now. <laughs> Get on I it. I want tap dancers. We- 42 <laughs> tap dancers. <laughs> That's right. Amazing. Well, so good to talk to you guys. And Thank congratulations you so on the great us. reviews that, you, that you've been oh, getting. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks really, for having us. It was a yeah, privilege really to get to talk to, to y'all. Thank you. Let me Days is playing at New York Theatre Workshop through December 31st. And as I said, the reviews of the show have been really excellent. If you're visiting New York around the holidays and New Year's, I highly recommend heading down to the East Village to see it. And if you can't make it to New York, you can hear the show's songs on the album 100 Days. If you're a fan of the Billboard on Broadway podcast, or maybe you just want to make a New Year's resolution to listen to more podcasts and one about musical theater and pop sounds really fun to you, please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, Give us lots of nice reviews and stars. That always helps. If you would like to tweet at me about the podcast, I'm at Rebecca Millsoff. You can always use the hashtag Billboard on Broadway and hope to see you next week for the last podcast of the year. (laughs) 